Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Shasta Nelson, author of The Business of Friendship. And if you want to learn how to connect with world-class people, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I chat with some of the world's top business influencers, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs in order to crack the code of networking. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know, and that your relationships ultimately determine the person that you become. So if you want to learn the new way of connecting, if you want to fill your network with quality people and skyrocket your results, then you're in the right place because this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I'm sitting down with Shasta Nelson. Shasta is a friendship expert, speaker, and author committed to teaching all of us how to create healthier and more fulfilling relationships in our lives. She'll be talking with us today about some of the work that will be in her new book, The Business of Friendship, Making the Most of the Relationships Where We Spend Most of Our Time. As one of the leading voices on how we can reverse the trend of our increasing loneliness, she's also a frequent spokesperson in the media being interviewed on TV shows such as Steve Harvey's talk show and the Today Show featured in countless national magazines like Good Housekeeping, Real Simple, and Health, and has been interviewed for prominent newspapers like the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the LA Times. Guys, it's going to be such an amazing conversation. You all know that this is literally the exact topic that we talk about here on the show is building friendships and relationships with people. So um, it's going to be a really great conversation to have with Shasta. But first, really quickly, if you're a seven-figure entrepreneur and you want to start a podcast, but you just have no idea where to get started, then have me and my team do it for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash podcast. There's a quick application, and then we'll jump on a phone call to see if we'd be a good fit to build out a show for you. That's travischapel.com slash Make my podcast. Shasta, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. My privilege. Thanks for the good work you're doing. Yes, ma'am. I try. I try. 
trying to keep up with you. That's all. No, no, no. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's go ahead and build some context here before we get into some of these tactical friendship and relationship type things here. And, and chat early uh, childhood for you, Shasta. Let's take it back to maybe 10, 11 years old. What were you up to at that point? Family life, school, academic, sports. Talk to me about what life was like for 11, 12-year-old Chester. <laughs> We're going way back. Let's see. Yes, ma'am. Love it. This is the first time I've been asked that question. Perfect. So. That's what I love to hear. <laughs> Gold stars. Yeah. 11-year-old Shasta was finding her voice. You know, I mean, I have like several memories. One memory just jumps out at me as <laughs> giving autographs at recess and getting sent to the principal's office because I everyone just assumed with my name Shasta that I was president of the soda company and I went with it. <laughs> and so there I was giving my autographs out at recess. But that was the only time I was ever in trouble. Other than that, I was like your little do-good girl who wanted to please everybody. So that's probably why I was out there doing it is I didn't want to disappoint anybody. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was one version of Shasta. And yeah, family life, you know, it's an interesting thing. That was an era too, where I was, yeah, just kind of figuring out who I was. And I had a single mom. And I remember one time, one of the memories that kind of jumps out at me when you ask that question is I remember my sister, my younger sister coming home and having drawn some artwork and my mom saying, oh, that's so beautiful. Maybe we should put you in art classes. And I just have this memory of being in the kitchen and I had the fridge door open, which is probably pretty normal. And I turned around and I remember being like, oh, I want to take art classes. And I remember her saying, yeah, let's just let this be your sister's thing, you know? And what I took away from that, I look back on that as an adult, I can say, oh, that was great that she was trying to protect my sister and trying to give my sister something and all that. You know, as a kid, I couldn't process it that way. And as a kid, mm -hmm. I took it as if I, like where I am, my sister doesn't shine or like if I shine too brightly, it affects other people. And so that's one of those stories where it's funny how it's such an innocent little story, but I've done a lot of work around that story. <laughs> Around I'm like, sure. what does it look like to not dim my light to make other people feel good? And how can I actually help my, help be my presence and be my space in the world and go try new things and be in different environments and have it be a blessing to other people and not something that would ever make them feel bad. And so right. all that people pleasing and trying to figure that out and trying to learn how to do that as an adult where you're showing up, but not necessarily acquiescing to everybody and being your sure. own voice. So yeah, little 11 year olds getting the beginnings of that. You said that you were kind of like the good girl, just trying to please everybody. How did that translate into your schoolwork? Did you tend to excel in academics? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes. I was on the sports teams and student government and yeah, good grades. And all fortunately, yeah, all the things. Unfortunately, I was in a class where that was the cool girls did that. So we all were doing that. And it was a uh, positive peer pressure, I guess, in that sense. But yeah, I, it's taken years to learn as an adult to, you know, what's the difference between showing up and being helpful to people and good sure, and true sure. and loving without crossing that line of like, doing, worrying about everybody else's feelings over your own. Yeah, right. I want to ask you this question just because I don't want to forget about it, but then we're going to get right back into your story. Can you draw us a picture of maybe where the line is between confidence and arrogance? I think that's something that's so important because, I, you know, similar to how what you were saying is I always felt like this need to, I was super competitive, always wanted to win. I was always yeah. pushing myself, whatever I did, but also felt like this bad feeling of about making other people feel bad about themselves and, yes. and similar to what yeah. you're saying here. And I think it had detrimental effects on my own confidence until... Yeah. I was, you know, probably still does and, and subconsciously in some way, but definitely in, into, you know, my college years and being in my early 20s, I, I definitely felt that restraint from being confident in what I could bring to the table and something because I was so afraid 
that people would look at me as being like the arrogant guy yeah. that's just good at yeah. stuff. You know what I mean? And yeah. so can you talk a little bit about the line there and how to navigate those waters? Yeah, for me, my goal is to think as big of myself as I possibly can and to be my brightest, shiniest, biggest contribution self I possibly can. Arrogance is where I think that I'm more of that than other people. And so for me, as long as I also think that everybody else has some huge, shiny, amazing thing and that I want to help support that and cheer for that, then that's my, to me, uh, I, I want to believe I'm special and know that I have something that's beautiful in this world. And I believe that about everybody else. And I want to be a part of like raising that up. So as long as those two are going hand in hand, I don't, I just got into the place where I've given myself permission to say arrogance is when I start thinking I'm better than other people. Mm. Or where I, or, you know, thinking that other people are less than. And so for me, that's kind of where I've just been able to land and say, I don't want to dim my light. I'm very competitive too. And I like that. I want to do my best. I want to give my best. I want to, I want to, yeah, just kind of make a difference. And I want to not feel like I need to dim that. And, and it feels really good to hear you say that too. I mean, I remember reading studies, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago, about that for men being powerful and likable was positively correlated that we liked the men the more powerful they got and for women they were negatively correlated mm. and that just left such an impression on me i just immediately read that and was like i knew it to be true for me that i had often chosen to be liked and to be relatable over mm. being powerful and that word means different things to all of us but for me it meant just taking up my space and standing on my own two feet and like being willing to be seen and so for me it's like saying okay i don't want to I don't want to go around the world just trying to be powerful. I do still want to be liked. I'm not going to lie. Of and course, yeah. I'm not going to acquiesce to just being liked and play a small game in order to be liked. And so it's like trying to find that. Yeah. And so it's helpful to hear that that's, you know, obviously men struggle with that too. I think we all struggle to kind of like be proud of our lives. And I talk about that in my book because vulnerability is one of the three, I believe it's one of the three requirements of all healthy relationships. And a lot of people think of vulnerability as sharing our shame and our insecurities and, and that can be part of it. But I'm really big, especially in the workplace and in our relationships, that I think more of us struggle to be vulnerable in the areas where we excel and where we're proud and where we're happy and where we feel successful and where we feel confident. And I watch people all the time feel like they have to downplay their marriage if other people's marriages aren't going well or pretend they don't really have the money yeah. or feel guilty for having the money. And, right. you know, and I just think we, if, if anything, our friendship should be the place where we practice shining and where we practice saying, this is where I'm awesome. And this is what I did that was good. And this is what I'm proud of. And we need to learn how to do more of that, in my opinion. Yeah, which really speaks to the power of relationships too, because you're essentially the same person as you are right now in five years from now, just minus the media that you consume and the people that you hang out with, really. And so uh, that's been a huge part for me is just getting around other people who are also in the mindset of doing everything with excellence and mm -hmm. continuing to push themselves. Because if you find your people, you tend to be more of you around the people that are your people, if that makes sense. I know we're going to get into a good amount of the networking friendship stuff a little bit later on. I want to get back into your story here for a second, Shasta. Talk to me about post-high school then for you. If you're always excelling, you're always you know doing all this extracurricular stuff and doing well in academics, what was the path for you after high school? Well, college was more of the same. I remember my freshman year of college, going to a college, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> And it was all guys running for student body president that year. And I remember saying to one of the upper class women in my one of my classes, like, you should run. We need a woman to run. We need some girls to run. And she was like, I'm not running. You should run. And it was one of those things where at the time, I don't even, I just was like, yeah, we need a girl to run. And so I just ran. 
as a student body president and did that whole thing. So yeah, you know, I look back and those were, I kind of laugh at myself looking back and yet I loved it. I mean, I thrived on inspiring and organizing and thinking up things. I love the idea of building community. I love planning events and gathering people together and trying to create belonging on campus. And yeah, and and knowing myself moving to a college where I didn't know anybody and that feeling of not knowing anyone and wanting to make that as easy as I could for freshmen coming in the next year. And so, yeah, my Shasta in college was definitely more of, of building relationships and trying to find, kind of practice and figure out what I was good at and what I enjoyed and how I wanted to do that in the world. Yeah, that's amazing. What was the area of study that you chose? So I was a communications study major, and I was planning on becoming a war correspondent, Travis, but I mm, ended up, wow. I was, I was, I grew up in a religious world and okay. uh, my college was a private college and my junior, my senior year in between those two, I ended up deciding to study for pastoral ministry. So I went and got my master's of divinity and my oh, no 20s way. was filled with being a pastor, which is so like at, at one point it felt like I was leaving that. And yet once again, you can look back and see that I went to where community happened in my world and that's where people would gather in churches and that's where, yeah. and so for me, it was definitely gravitating to community again. And as a pastor, that was where I got practice at, you know, marriage counseling with people and helping train small group leaders and thinking through curriculum and how do you bond people together? And when a visitor visits, how do you help them feel welcome? And how, you know, how do you actually get to know each other? And how do you serve a community? And how do you make a difference together? And so I can look backwards and of course, see that's going all the way through. Yeah, that's really funny that that you say that because I actually have my bachelor's degree in Bible and church ministries. There uh, you go. Major, so, yeah, <laughs> a little bit we of could go a ground. whole other podcast. No <laughs> kidding. Yeah, I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. What prompted that for you? That's just how I was raised. I, I was yep. I was raised very very tight knit, small religious type of a bubble or community. Yep. I guess you could say it was like you know, there's Christian and then there's Baptist, and then we were independent fundamental Baptist. So it was like a couple of like a subsect of a subsect of yeah. Christianity yeah. as a whole. But that's just kind of how I was raised. And so for me, it wasn't really like an option coming out of high school. It was just like, mm-hmm. do you want to go to Bible college or do you not want to do anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so oh, I chose okay. Bible college. And uh, by the time I graduated, I realized I didn't want to go down that path anymore. Like I never actually took a paycheck from a church and went that route. I kind of jumped into the business world. But yeah, it is interesting how those two things coincide, especially in terms of like how we're both working with people and relationships and communication and all those types of things, because yeah. it is really prevalent in that world for sure. I think once you experience like belonging, and of course I would look yes, back and right, say, belonging. you only belonged if you like followed the right things and did the right things and yeah, believed the sure. right things. And it's you know, exactly but right. if you belong, <laughs> you belong and you had like this community. And I think so many of us, the rest of our lives, it's like we're craving yep. and missing and longing for that. And yet, how do you do that? where we don't all have to, you know, put on our best and like put on this polished feeling uh, in, in order. Yeah, it's a, it brings up the worst and the best of community. So yeah, very fascinating. So what was the thing that made you leave and do what you're doing now? So I was pastoring and then my husband and I went and started our own non-traditional spiritual community. And and so I was kind of getting more and more out of the traditional bubble. And I started hey, what, what doing do you mean? Sorry to interrupt you. What, what, yeah. what do you mean by non-traditional community? Like what what do you mean by that? Yeah, more of just like a spiritual discussion group and kind of broad and not necessarily just only Christian and just kind of deconstructing our faith, if you will, and have asking the big questions. So it wasn't so much like church, like here come and I have all the answers and I'll tell you how to believe, but more of trying to create community 
that was a spiritual community where it was a safe place for, you know, for we had people come who were couples. One was atheist and one wasn't. And one was this religion and one was that religion. And just different people coming together and just exploring, trying to be community without the belief that we all had to have kind of the same dogma. Hmm. And it was so meaningful and it was so beautiful. And we were fundraising and it was just a very, um, it was more of like, a, you know, we're not supported by any financial support and by any system or anything like that. So we were coaching, uh, doing a lot. My husband and I both were doing a lot more coaching outside of, you know, just life coaching. And it was in that space, Travis, that I just kept hearing this common theme of, at the time, they wouldn't use the word loneliness. And I would not sure I would have used that word at that time either, but it was that. And it was people saying that people who hire life coaches are driven, they're motivated, they're doing great things in the world. And yeah, every time I would ask, like, who's supporting you? Who's helping define what success looks like for you here? I just kept hearing a common theme of people saying, well, I'm going through a divorce, so all my relationships go up in the air. Or, well, I, I work so hard and I just feel like I don't really have time for relationships. Or, well, I just moved here two years ago and I really lost touch with the people I used to know and I uh, haven't built those relationships yet now. And so I just kept hearing this. And that was at the time, I just believe I just believe the research of who you hang out with, who you're confiding in, who your friends are, what they're defining as normal is going to determine your success and your goals. And I kept hearing that they didn't know people and they weren't confiding in people and they weren't close to people. And that was really what started me saying, how can I help them? How can I find good resources for them? And that was me, you know, 15 years ago, looking for resources and just being quite unimpressed with what I was finding. (laughs) Yeah, same. And I was like, wow. And there was, you know, if you want to go have a romantic relationship, there's thousands of books and coaches and guides. And if you want to, like parent-child relationship, or you're pregnant, there's like 5,000 books to buy. And yet when it came to like healthy friendships, I was kind of appalled. And and the studies, the research shows, those are actually the relationships that will affect your health more. Hmm. The people who you're working with and interacting with on a daily basis, like will do more for your health than who you're talking to and confiding on the phone every couple months. And, you know, when you're actually start looking at the science behind it, I think it was just me seeing a need, seeing uh, my passions. Again, it was kind of goes back to what I was like in college. I never set out to be as a president, but I was like, why isn't somebody doing this? Why isn't somebody running? Why isn't there a girl running? And I heard myself just keep saying, why is nobody like in this space? Why is nobody coming up with better blogs? Why is nobody writing about this? Why is everyone so obsessed with these other relationships and not these ones? And you can only hear yourself say that so many times before you start saying, okay, I'm going to study all the research out there. I'm going to start pulling stuff together and start trying to get it to my clients. Yeah, and that's where I just started blogging and I started a website that was kind of like a match.com for female friends at the time. And that kind of put me on my path of like, how can we help introduce people to each other, especially when it's like outside the church world. Very few people mm-hmm. are going to our churches now to find a community. And I realized at that point that I was more passionate about building community. And that's where I just kind of let go of the need to have it be uh, spiritual, if you will. I still believe that having healthy relationships is the most spiritual thing you can do. And that's where, to me, I just was like, this is my thing. This is where I'm passionate. This is what I want to be doing. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect 
with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. How long did you go down that path before it started to actually pay you money? (laughs) It started making me money relatively soon, but never enough. And it was always kind of, you know, just a hit or miss here. I had a website, I would do courses, you know, that kind of stuff. But there was a year where it was really good. And I've written books every couple of years. And so, I mean, there's been, it's been an up and down thing, but yeah, it used to be so much harder. I think it was just people weren't used to paying for this. They didn't value it. That was a little bit like trying to sell bottled water in the early years. And now everybody thinks they need that bottled water, but like, but it just felt like a hard, hard sell for sure. And people didn't feel like it should be paying anything for relationships. And I happen to believe the opposite. I think there's yeah, very little that's totally. worth paying and investing in more. So yeah, it's not a easy subject matter to make money in. And, and I don't come with it. Like I've got the pastor background. I never, like I'm that person that's like, I would do it for free, right? I'm just like, this yeah. is so important. You all need to be looking at the research. So yeah. <laughs> right. That's why I asked that question because I think that a lot of times people have unrealistic expectations about yes. like when they leave the path that they're currently in and they do almost like a reinventing of themselves. They yeah. expect this new thing to like catch up to their old thing immediately. And it's just so unrealistic to expect some of those things. Can it happen? And, and does it happen? And will it happen? Yes, for some people it will. But yeah. you cannot bank on that. If you're banking yeah. on that, then you're most of the people listening to this right now, most of you will be upset with the actual results that come from it. So the only real way to see that success with it, if you're going to break away from what you're doing right now is exactly what you just said, Shasta is like, you would have done it for free. Yeah. So like, if you're listening to this, ask yourself that question, you know, like what are the (laughs) things that you would do for free? Like things that you wouldn't even have to get paid. You just would enjoy doing it. And if you do that enough and you come up with a good enough system that actually helps people and helps puts people first, helps them actually solve a real problem. That's when you start getting paid for solving that problem. But you're not going to have the plan right now. So just take action and go for it. And I really appreciate that about you, Shasta. So let's talk a little bit about your book before we move into the last segment here. First off, where can we get it? And then secondly, what are the top one or two takeaways that you want people to grab from that book? So they can go to thebusinessoffriendship.com and that has links to all the places you can get it, all the booksellers and Amazon and indie books and all of that. 
And also at the businessoffriendship.com is where they can get all the free resources. I put together so many resources for this book, the book discussion guide and videos and uh, 35 sharing questions to use with your team and just everything. (laughs) It's all there. So the businessoffriendship.com. And if I were just to kind of say some key takeaways, well, I feel one obligation since I did reference the three relationship requirements, I feel some obligation to share the other two because that felt like dropping something I didn't mean to... (laughs) leave people hanging. But so when I look at all the studies and I study all the different relationships studies out there, what bonds people together, healthy teams, healthy marriages, healthy friendships, there's three things that are in common that across all those studies. And those are it's vulnerability, which I referenced earlier, that that's how we feel seen. And in our deepest, most meaningful relationships, we oh, even not deepest, like even when we're just interacting, like you and me on this conversation, we both want to be seen for the moment that we have together. And so we can have different varying degrees of relationship, but we, in anything, we are showing up and wanting to be seen in some way. And it needs to feel safe and it needs to feel satisfying. And so in order for it to feel safe, we need consistency, which is, you know, you and I could have a great conversation, but if we never repeated it, then that was a great conversation, which is great. But if you actually want a relationship, you would have to repeat that. And that's the consistency, the shared experiences and the interaction mm-hmm. and the pattern. And then you can have vulnerability and consistency, but we want it to feel good. And that's where we need positivity, the positive emotion. And we know from science that we need to have five positive emotions for every negative emotion in a relationship to keep it healthy and meaningful and make us want mm-hmm has to feel good for us to want to be more consistent and for us to want to share with you. So those three things I teach and I'm super proud of myself. When I wrote this book, I was like, this is so good. The way I just feel really good about how I broke that down, how I explain it, how I teach it. I teach it on a triangle and everything comes back to that. So we can really evaluate the health of every relationship in our life based on how much positivity, consistency, and vulnerability there are. And when it comes to like networking and building community, I teach it on a triangle where the bottom of the triangle is where all relationships start. And as we practice and deepen those three things, those are the relationships that move up toward the top. So it also helps us understand, I teach five different levels of relationships. So it just reminds us that we have different expectations or should have different expectations for different relationships as based on how much they practice those three things. So I feel like that's one big takeaway that's just uh, super important to make sure that is a good way for everybody listening to, I mean, I can pretty much guarantee that I can guarantee that any relationship in your life that you've built that's meaningful, it's because you could look back and see those three things present. And conversely, any relationship right now that's not feeling as satisfying or as good as you want it to feel, it's because at least one of those three things could be increased and it needs Mm. to be paid more attention to. So that's probably one of the big takeaways. So thebusinessoffriendship.com, make sure you head over there to pick up a copy of this book. If you're listening to this podcast, and this is a fantastic book for you to pick up, anything about relationships obviously is what we're talking about here on the show. And you guys always know that I always say networking is basically the same thing as building friendships. Um, I think people separate those two activities too often. And so this would be a fantastic book to pick up, thebusinessoffriendship.com. Shasta, I got to ask you this question. It's the one I ask every single guest that's come on the show. I'm curious to hear your answer. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two is more important and why? For sure, who you know. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you can look back on anything that somebody would ask me how successful my business, like, how did you get that? How did you get that podcast? How did you get that speaking? How did you? It all comes down to relationships. I mean, of course, I needed to know my stuff, but I would say without doubt and how supported we feel, how, yeah, just for sure who surrounds me and my masterminds and the women that I'm close enough to, to hear what they're doing that's successful and the things they're struggling with at all is what helps fuel me and my own drive and my own success. And 
and my own failures and just being able to have a safe place to process all of that. So for sure. Shasta has been such a great conversation. I love when we have relationship experts, friendship experts come out here on the show because we get to talk about the things that the show is really meant to do, which is help people build better relationships and build better connections with each other. Let's go to move into the last segment here. So I'm going to have to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. You ready? Yep. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? I think like trying to do something in advertising these days would be Mm. interesting, which I'm surprising myself hearing myself say that, but I think they're so (laughs) influential. (laughs) I think it's such an influential industry and I would love to figure out how we could do that where we're not selling fear, but selling Mm. like, I don't know, like inspiring more and stuff. So yeah, there's some intrigue there. (laughs) If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Well, Travis, I would choose you right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I have a thousand questions for you now. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, wait, I'm going to get off this and not feel like I know all these things about you. <laughs> hey, that's the best answer I've heard to that question yet. So <laughs> how do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? Books, for sure. What's a book that you've read recently that you'd recommend to everybody? Well, I'm just starting it, but I would definitely recommend The Survival of the Friendliest. And it would be so good for this audience. Brian Hale and Vanessa Woods are scientists out of North Carolina. And it is amazing because they talk about the evolution theory of the survival of the fittest. And we actually think often the fittest means the strongest and the most alpha. And and they're saying it is not true. The species that have survived is because they adapted to building relationships with other species. And it's, it's the species that were the friendliest that have survived. And so it actually says that we have misdiagnosed, you know, kind of misdefined what survival of the fittest means. So that's a big, it's pretty fascinating research. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine is sleep in until my body wakes up and it involves uh, sitting and drinking coffee and uh, with my husband and talking and kind of looking at the news and then we do yoga and then we eat breakfast and read a book together and have big conversations and do some sharing. And then by 10 a.m. I'm uh, usually in my office. What is your go-to pump-up song? Andra Day has a gorgeous song called Rise Up. And that is the song that I listen to before going and doing big events or anything. (laughs) What is something that you are just not very good at? Oh my, a long list. (laughs) I am. (laughs) I am not very good at looking at data. I mean, I love reading research, but I don't like doing my own data and my own numbers and my own like that kind of stuff. I would just rather, I just follow my intuition and go that route, which has served me well. But I think that (laughs) I'm not very good at going back and like looking at numbers, which would be something I could do better at, I suppose. (laughs) And as we get everything wrapped up here, what is one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? If you want more advice and inspiration, I do videos on YouTube all the time, but where I hang out and give my opinions and, and share articles and teach and all that kind of stuff. I still love Facebook. Awesome. So make sure to head over to Facebook and check out some of the stuff that Shasta is putting out and then go to thebusinessoffriendship.com to pick up a copy of her book. You guys know every time we recommend a book on the show, you got to do it now because if you don't do it now, you're just going to put it off and you're never going to get it. So make sure, take some time right now, go over to thebusinessoffriendship.com and pick up a copy of Shasta's new book. Shasta, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's had just seriously such a great conversation with you. Likewise. And I totally agree with you, Travis, that networking is 
friendship. And the two are absolutely might be looser friendships, but they are so much the same three things. And so love that you are helping get those relationships going and making a difference for all of us are we're better off for it. Well, that's it for this episode. If you want to connect with me and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join my free Facebook group, The Lounge. I'll see you over there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.